Hi there, it's Daniel. On this week's Behind the Idea, Mike and I did our first ever live in the studio podcast to review the Case Learning Shorting Conference. You may remember last week's podcasts on Afria and Ebix, or our interview with Whitney Tilson last month. But the conference featured nearly 20 speakers, so there's a lot more to talk about. On this podcast, we discuss our favorite ideas from the conference, our favorite presentations, the vibe in the room, and any other general conclusions we could take away from spending a day with short sellers. Before we begin, Behind the Idea is the podcast that analyzes what makes great investment analysis work. Neither Mike nor I have any positions in any stocks named, and none of this is meant as investment advice. I also want to shout out Bill Brewster, who left us a review on iTunes. He titled it, Pretty Solid, and gave us four stars out of five. Here's what he wrote. As with all investment discussions, do your own work. Generally good talk about ideas. Thanks, Bill. That's a fair review. Okay, let's get started. Welcome to Behind the Idea, live from Seeking Alpha's New York City offices. Daniel and I are here in person. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Mike. Uh, we're here to talk about the Case Short Selling Conference. We attended it yesterday. They fed us. They fed us three meals. And uh, there was a happy hour afterward. So I'm satisfied. How about you? Yeah, very satisfied. Very. We were in the... So we're recording this on Tuesday... December 4th, just to be unambiguous about it. And the conference was on December 3rd, Monday, in the New York Athletic Club, which... It's a beautiful club. It's a Coat and tie required. When's the last time? Or no, not, not a tie. Not no. tie. I don't wear ties. Fact check. Yeah. I've got... I don't have a neck, so ties look bad on me. But he had a vest. I had, he had a vest. A, he had a nice vest. I had a coat and tie on. Um, both of us are unaccustomed to dressing that way, I think. That's, that is true. Yeah. Fact yeah. check. Correct. <laughs> um, so yeah, we should first just recap basically what the case conference is. So it's put on by Whitney Tilson, who's a, a former hedge fund manager who managed case capital management for years and years, 18 years, I think, then folded that up in 2017. And now he is the head of case learning, which is a company focused on providing educational resources to people who are interested in working in hedge funds, basically somewhere in the asset management world. And he puts on these conferences. He put one on in May. Uh, David Einhorn spoke at that one. And some of the people who were at Tuesday's conference also spoke. You were at that. I was at that one and it was really fun. So we reached out to Whitney and uh, decided to do a little bit more of a deep dive coverage and Danny and I both showed up. We took in all the presentations and we're, uh, now we're going to go over some of those, uh, for the listeners. So, well, and just, you've already, you spoke to Whitney a few weeks ago as sort of a preview lead up to it. And then you spoke to Gabriel, Grego and Nate Anderson before they presented their Afria short. So we'll get into that, I'm sure, but that was, one podcast that you may have already heard. I spoke to Matt Thomsberg about Ebix, and Ebix is a stock that came up twice yesterday. And so, yeah, and so now, and we may speak to one or two other speakers about their ideas some more and try to get beh- behind them. But 
here. Yeah, let's kind of just go over what. So we we saw. I think we just published an article on the recap. I think there were about sixteen. There were there were between sixteen and twenty speakers. One or two of them weren't idea specific, but there's a lot of ideas to choose from. What did you think? What were your favorite ideas? Without further qualification, what what stood out to you just from the idea level? Just in terms of the investment idea. I mean, it's hard to argue that Gabriel Grego and Nate Anderson's, also known as Hindenburg Research's piece on Afria was a really a home run. It was definitely among the crowd favorites and the market really responded. As we're talking, I think Afria shares are now down around 40% uh, since the presentation and we have a whole podcast about it, but basically I think the reason that it was so popular and successful was the amount of proprietary firsthand research. So Gabriel went to locations of these different companies that Afria had announced acquisitions of and had showed with photographic evidence and videos and through interviews with employees and other relevant people a lot of red flags around those target companies. And so I, it didn't land with me the same way because, you know, we had talked about it before the presentation. We recorded the podcast on Friday. And so I kind of had already known, but it definitely was a home run. So that's one for me. What's your, what's your first favorite? So, I don't know if I've got it down to it first. I really liked one of the last presentations we heard on the day, which was Keith Rosenblum of Cruiser Capital, yeah. Short Michaels. And I liked the thesis. It worked in a liberal dose of Gronk, Rob Gronkowski, who apparently endorses Michaels. Also, the Property Brothers the- were, in, were in the presentation. So. Right, yeah. it was- That might be enough to short something. By itself, I don't know. <laughs> the Gronk factor? Yeah, the, well, the Property Brothers and factor property maybe, brothers. maybe more. Right, um, because Gronk also endorses Dunkin' Donuts, which uh, would be uh, no longer called Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin', but... Dunkin' Brands? Uh, yeah, and I think... Anyway. <laughs> the, so, the what Michael... the idea? Yeah. The Michael's thesis, what I like about it is Michael's will show up a lot of times when I screen for cheap stocks that are underperforming. And his point was, I guess he presented at the last conference. I don't know what he presented on, but Whitney apparently said afterwards, that's a cheap stock. And Rosenblum's point is that he focuses on cheap-looking stocks that are actually melting. And it was a really – I thought it was a pretty specific thesis, which was that people think of Michael's. It's this arts and crafts store. They think of it as this place that is somewhat immune from Amazon and online sales – and is he said no? That's not the case. They've their arts and crafts business. They've talked about is still under core pressure. But then a specific business is their framing business, which makes up thirty three percent of their income. I don't remember if it was EBIT or net income or what, but thirty percent of their income, even though it's only fifteen percent of revenue, and people are offering custom online framing now, competitively, better pricing. Michaels now has to pay for Google ad results and that's a, you know, which we can get into Google in a second because I thought Google was a looming factor in a few of these theses. But I just thought that I just thought that was a 
a um, compelling thesis that seems like it will work. There's private equity involved. There's a lot of debt on the balance sheet, and they're selling a lot of their shares. So one of the points he made was each time the stock will go up to 20, you can expect a secondary offering from, I think, Blackstone and Bain, who own 42% of the company. Really cool. Really cool basis for asymmetry. I thought that the downside's big, but um, from the short perspective, if you're short, then your losses may be limited because every time the stock goes up, yeah, these insiders are just going to dump it since they're private equity holders looking for an exit. Well, and it fit well with another thesis that we'll talk about, but it felt well with the idea of wishful thinking because you can just get the sense that if it's a cheap stock, People are just going to hold Michael's thing. Oh, come on. They'll, yeah. they just need to get one, one or two good quarters and then they'll be rolling. And it's not going to be as crowded as some of the other shorts that may have been presented. And so, yeah, I just thought it was a really neat setup and compelling thesis. And so that was one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. Staying with that. I mean, the framing thing, I, first of all, I hate Michael's as a consumer <laughs> experience. I just, I feel like you could only wind up going to Michael's if your like in-laws are in town and they have to like get some tchotchke to like put for place settings for something or it's always you never have a good enjoyable reason to go to Michael's. It's always for some irritating reason. And, I don't uh, think either of us are artsy craftsy to be fair. Uh, we're podcast <laughs> podcast craftsy. But I don't and and I I use an online framing company that I will not name <laughs> uh, for a lot of my framing needs. And I have to say, I don't think, at least for, for me, I don't find the experience of going in to talk to someone about it to be particularly necessary. So I've, I've used an online framing company uh, about five times in the past year. So I think that the online thesis there, it is consistent with my own consumer experience. And even, even with Gronk, you know, Gronk's getting, he's getting a little banged up, you know? And so a little banged up, maybe they, they need to move on to maybe like Travis Kelsey or some other tight end. I would argue that that's actually a plus though, because then he'll stop playing and he'll just do ads. That could oh, be upside. oh, upside. But if he's like, if he gets any more banged up, I don't know how good a spokesman he's going to be. It's like, loves it, this man. is Gronk. Ah, come to Michael's. Ooh. <laughs> um, okay, any other ideas that stood out to you? Any ideas that you just thought, that's a good idea? Let's, we're we're going to talk about presentations in a second, but what did you, what else did you think was, that was compelling? I liked Axon, Sonny, Sonny Fury's idea. I okay. think he did a good job of establishing the history of insider behavior that drives concerns and I don't know, I'd have to reevaluate some of the sort of accounting and credit sales uh, discussion a little bit more closely, but he definitely hit beats of a short idea that, I don't know, seem to be associated with ones that tend to work out. I guess the question is when you do have an operating business that is in kind of a particular niche market, maybe that's a concern, but that's just me freestyling right now. Uh, I did, maybe I just like the idea of shorting uh, people who make weapons just 
just cause I like that. I don't know. I'm probably biased in some way or another, but, um, I thought the treatment of the insider behavior at least was interesting. So maybe not, maybe that's a little different from whether I think the idea is really excellent, but I did want to highlight it anyway. Yeah. I thought it was, it was, I was surprised and this happened in a couple cases, Ebix, it happened, uh, a couple cases where they've been short ideas within the past. They've been periodic short idea targets. And I was surprised to realize that Axon has come down quite a bit this year. The last oh. time I had looked at it, it was a big winner for bulls and they had a big earnings report somewhere in there. And so I was a little bit surprised to see it's down 40%. I believe, oh, wow. From 52 weeks highs. I think it got up to 76. It's at 44 now. Quick math. Bulletproof. 40%. Not a bulletproof stock, apparently. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but they, yeah. Oh, sorry. So, so I thought that was an interesting thesis. I thought he presented well. He, well, again, we can get into the presentation. He opened his presentation with a clip from The Hangover. And so that, even though, that was I, don't know, I don't know that you could take credit for using a movie clip in your thesis when it's basically just to show a taser, but it was funny. Right. You just, laughed. I mean, it's like, here's, are you funny if you just show a hilarious video in your presentation? You're funny because you chose to do that in an investor presentation, kind of, right? Because you're, I don't know, short sellers are not as self-serious, I think, as maybe other financial market participants necessarily. There's a little bit more of There's that. There's room to like make, because you're making fun of yeah, bad yeah. management or, or, you know, people who are getting the idea wrong, you're kind of making fun of them. And you kind of have to have a little bit of a jaundiced view of the world. Exactly. And so I think that's, that came in. So yeah, it's, but we're <laughs> just like, you're just like, that wasn't funny, Sonny. <laughs> Sonny, it was funny. We were uh, just like, excuse me, yeah, Sonny. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, no. He's going to be like, what are you? Okay, fine. I won't put any funny videos in my presentations. <laughs> the audience will suffer, not me. <laughs> yeah. I so um, the, the other thesis that I thought, there were a couple smaller theses that Dan David put it together. A, it was an interesting talk about his time learning about yeah. China and then making the China hustle and then lobbying Congress and running for Congress and out of that, he sort of came up with this short idea of a Taiwanese company that if I had to bet which idea would play out, that would be near the top of my list. Oh, yeah. Good. Okay. Say, well, why? Why do you think that? So the thesis was, it's this company called Ideal Bike. They sunk over, I, they sunk at least $20 million, if not more, into this company called ASE, Advanced Sports Enterprise, maybe. And that company, the reason he was aware of it was because the husband of his opponent in the race for Congress, who won the race, is in charge of that company, if I recall correctly. And full disclaimer, I don't have the notes in front of me. But they... Some affiliation. With there was an affiliation and there was there was a... So it was a curious connection anyhow, but then they declared bankruptcy. And so that's a lot of money that's going to go to be worth a lot of less a lot less money and it was a $58 million market cap. The management team over there had it's similar to the Axon story had experience, had like bad arrests or bad issues in their past. Fielded a few accusations. Securities related, securities fraud related things, that sort of thing. And so I just thought that was, uh, 
you know, I thought that was likely to work. There was also ideal bike. I'm, you can't see this listeners, but I'm wrinkling my nose and shaking my head. It's, it's, it's true. a terrible name for a company. I mean, maybe it's lost in translation. Maybe it means something. Maybe it means like, uh, huffy and <laughs> just Google translate got it wrong. I don't know. Anyway. But so, yeah, so I thought that was compelling. I thought again, Carson Block sort of made the case for, um, for the moral sort of short selling, which I think would be worth unpacking, but the ideas he mentioned, Acadia Healthcare, Health Insurance Innovations, I think those are both, it's sort of There's tangential to his point, but they that those are interesting short ideas. But the other short idea that I thought was really well presented, and it was interesting because then after the fact... I think we were talking to somebody when we, at the cocktail hour. I was like, "Well, but there's no catalyst, per, you know, it's just an expensive stock." But I thought Cargurus, which Sam Adrangi pitched from yeah. Parasdale. What I liked about so again to go to the Google thing, I think companies that are have to play this SEO game and yeah. have to uh, have to battle for either tricking Google's algorithms or just paying Google money to get clicks. That's a very you don't want to be levered to Google, I think, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're a website. Any website is somewhat levered to Google. So I don't want to, like, overstate that. But Sam's thesis was that Cargurus doesn't do anything special. There's enough competition there. They're growing fast because they're spending all that money to get in front right. of potential buyers. And then he didn't say it. And I asked him a question about it at the presentation. But also... We've talked quite a bit about the auto cycle and about where that's going to turn. He he didn't answer my question. I, I will call about. I don't. Th- I think he sort of took my question and turned it into something else. But I asked whether where this fits in with auto cycle turning. You know how does used cars do they do well or not? But I would have to think that that's an additional headwind and an additional challenge here. And so when you've got a highly valued company, not a lot of profit. And competition, there's they can do one, uh, two or three things, but any of those things are going to probably lead to valuation compression. I thought that was a pretty compelling thesis, even without you know a fraud related yeah trigger or whatever else. And I think it was it's interesting to look at a growth story from that perspective and build out the scenario where the growth gets busted. And do it based on expectations around how revenue growth is probably like revenue growth won't necessarily decline anytime soon, but it will slow as a result of, you know, the challenges coming forward. I forget why, but he said revenue growth would slow. You remember why? I think it was increased competition. I think competition. I think think it was was increased competition. I don't know if they posted that. But but regardless, the margin compression was a compelling piece of the story, too. And that's another, like, earnings growth w- would slow if margin, margins compress, even if revenue growth continues, I think. So, right. so I just like, I, my point, regardless of these particulars, is just some short ideas are sort of easier in the sense that this company bought a bunch of companies and we went and visited the companies and they may or may not exist. You know, that's one thing. 
But to spot an, a company that has ongoing operations and has more or less some kind of business going and then foreseeing headwinds to the business that would compress the stock price is it's something that I think I would have a hard time replicating that kind of thought process. So I think that it was impressive to me in that way. Also for cars.com, to your point, I did a valuation of it when it IPO'd and I valued it at like half of where it actually IPO'd, I think, and got made fun of that for that. But whatever, value hipster. You want <laughs> a conclusion? I'll come to a conclusion. <laughs> I took it a buy price target that the company will never reach. Uh, <laughs> And uh, safety for the win. But one of the things was like, can you, st- well, stepping out in front of the auto cycle seems scary now, although who knows when any of this stuff actually is going to turn. I feel like that was part, maybe a theme of the conference kind of was people feeling like bearish, a little bit more bearish on the macro level, you know, the Cracker Barrel and the Home Builders presentation from Victoria Hart. Victoria Hart from Pinnacle View, touched on these sort of demographic shifts slash macro trends that seem to reflect some kind of softening in the economy. And also David Berman's presentation on the inventory sales ratio, basically, also had this kind of suggestion that a turn may be coming. So when we talk about just this concern of the auto sector or any of these major cyclical sectors turning there was just a vibe that that might happen but i get a little concerned about the timing and i think everyone there was concerned with question of the timing of a potential downturn more than whether one was coming soon do you think that's fair yeah it's maybe a big generalization yeah i think it's i i got the sense that people are there was a little bit more bounce in their step i wasn't at the first conference so i don't have comparison but a little bit more bounce in the step about the idea that volatility's returned whitney introduced the conference talking about that and i think and also the fact that the afria presentation led the conference kind of that that just sort of reminds you of the impact of this sort of research and it reminds you that short selling it just makes you feel good if you're a short seller to see that somebody can share their research and the market reacts and so forth and yeah, so I just felt there was a little bit more of that going on, that there was a little bit more of like, okay, this this is our game. It's The game is sort of turned from the all-fang playbook to, well, those stocks are selling off, opportunities are opening up, we can start to, we pitch, we're not fighting a crazy tape. Yeah. And as we look today, you know, this is, by the time we publish this, I'm sure it's going to change, but on December 4th, the stock market turned to suddenly go down, we're down over 2%. And that's not all that unusual anymore. I remember making a joke earlier this year and internally at Seeking Alpha, our data provider struggled when the market went down a couple percent in February or something. And I joked that they forgot that markets go down. They <laughs> go down, bad. they go down quite a bit these days. Yeah. And so that's in theory, that should be advantageous. Because shorts will start to work, and then you're better hedged than somebody who's all along. Uh, yeah, I think there was a feeling. I mean, Whitney even said during the presentation, you know, interest rates are a little higher, volatility is a little bit. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of a sentiment adjustment there. I think it probably helped that they kicked off with Af- Afria and the 
market responded, probably got it. And in fact, there were people kind of, there's the presentation hall and then there was kind of like a dining room area in the next room. And there were kind of people like hanging out as some of the presentations were going on and just kind of like chilling out, like saying what's up, kind of like smiling and like bopping around a little bit. So yeah, there definitely was, I think, a little bit of a shift there, which is interesting. Interesting to see. What is so? What do you think? Let's go to the behind the idea. We also look not just the idea, but the work behind it. What did you think? Presentations. What what stood out for you as far as actual? What the people said on on the stage. What what sort of struck you? I have two favorites, but my I'll first have to give a shout out, a very special shout out to my man. David Berman of Berman Capital for his presentation, The Wishful Thinking Theory. So David had the most entertaining presentation, in my opinion, of the bunch. And he probably took up about double the allotted time. So, yeah, he had more. That's more room for more. Enter- you get more entertainment in the longer you go. <laughs> Sometimes he was <laughs> all else equal. He, he was, was efficient, but he was still. He was time. like I think even if he had presented for only the allotted time, he would have still probably uh, gotten my prize for that. They did have review forms, and I rated his presentation second behind Gabriel Gregos. And then we talked after the presentation, and I told him that, and he was furious <laughs> with me. He was so mad. And uh, but here's what's great about his presentation: basically, his analytical process is to sum up the entire retail sector in the U.S. and come to what he views as the most sort of economically viable index of the relationship between inventory, the stuff on the shelves in the stores, and sales, how fast things are moving out of the stores. And so he puts graph after graph up of like this squiggly line of inventory uh, growth versus sales growth. And when it's he flipped it, I think, a couple times. You're like, <laughs> it when, sometimes when it's, when the line's above zero, it's good. Sometimes when it's above zero, it's bad. And sometimes when it's below, but always one side is good and one side is bad. And he would go, you know, he'd do, he'd be like, he's South African. So forgive me, but <laughs> you go, you know, now target, target. Uh, you see, it's bad. It's bad. It's good. It's good. <laughs> Up and down. It goes, it goes. And then here, and then he maps the stock price on top of it. And he goes, yeah. And then you see when it flips negative, then the stock goes so positive and all this stuff. So what I liked about that is that he had high information density. He also went longer, but he was so animated. He had a cool joke at the beginning about how he mapped his return rate of return versus his number of children. He has six children. And so he had a stepwise graph each time a new kid <laughs> comes along going up into, up into the right. And then the, yeah, the return rate of return over the course of his career goes down into the right on the other side. So he was funny. He went quickly and I think his overall, here's why I did the, what I knocked on him for was not coming to a specific actionable conclusion because he said that, you know, if, if new we're heading into Christmas there is signs of inventory buildup, but accounts payable are also going up, which means that this is new inventory. Right. And new inventory is good, and it's good ahead of Christmas, especially when the economy is doing so well as it's been doing right now. Well, well, it was. He said it was. It would suggest high sales. He suggests that we're building up inventory to then sell it in Q4. He did say that if you have a lot of inventory, 
there's a risk to your margins. And that's where I think he, he sort of hedged his point by saying, look, Target is likely to have a big quarter. They've got new inventory that's sitting there waiting to sell. But I have no idea where the margins are going to come in. And so you have to watch for that, which is where I think you're getting at the point that he... We, we had some disagreements over how clear his conclusions were. Some some listeners believe that every name he mentioned was a clear short, and he agreed that they understood it and that we were idiots. But to us, it seemed like he was saying, well, a quarter from now, things might look bad, and you got to watch for this, but it's hard to take. We, we don't know where margins are coming in. Right. But I think it was a little bit past that. Looking past that, I did pick up that over, you know, it's like, maybe don't get out in front of these now because there might be some still positive sentiment. You know, if the credit card n- sales numbers come out, then we'll maybe see a kick to the stocks because the market is just going to be focusing on sales. But then in the out quarters, potentially, we'll start to see weakness. If some of that inventory remains on the books and unsold, especially any inventory that is old that remains on the books through the Christmas quarter, then that's going to be harder and harder to move. And maybe the first quarter would be tough. Uh, that was the impression I got. Yeah. I don't know if you said that specifically, but that was my what I gathered. But my vote, I mean, he's this sort of strong-looking dude, kind of. He's like... Um, Short, stocky. But, like, I don't know. He he looks like he's strong. I, and he's um he's got six kids, so he's not the youngest man in the room. And he's got this, like, buzz cut. And he's just very, like, clipped way of speaking. And he's just, like, <laughs> very emphatic and... We were laughing the whole time just because of how entertaining he was with, you know, talking about old inventory being on the books. And he just goes, it's old. It's old. It's old. It's old. And he just like the record was skipping, but it was like so emphatic and funny and good. So I liked I liked his rapid fire style and his it's clear that he can just flip these numbers around in his head intuitively in a way that. You know, it would take an entire career to probably get where he is with retailers. So that was impressive. Well, and and yeah, so the nuance with the accounts payable, because his point was that if inventory builds up, but accounts payable build up, that means, okay, that they, they are ordering it fresh. They need to pay off their suppliers, et cetera. And so that that's okay. I thought that was a good nuance. I thought the, I thought this would go really well with then something like what Bernabarche does in terms of, and a lot of investors, I'm not, she didn't patent it, but the idea of doing channel checks of checking what social media impacts, checking what else is going on. And I noticed Mike and I, as we were at the conference, I pulled up the Ralph Lauren, Ralph Lauren chart. And that stock I think is more or less down since Bernab released her pitch. It kind of went up and then down, but it, it, I think the inventory sales, to me, it felt a little backwards looking. It felt a little, I couldn't tell where the, is this, is this something that you front run in short or do you anticipate that inventory is going to build up? Like that to me felt a little bit harder to grasp. And that's where I think combining it with using it as an initial screen and then going from there to look at retailers further is really useful. He also did this big thing about emphasizing he included what he called SAA, which is Samsung, Apple, and Amazon, and mostly Amazon in retail. He just made the point that there, I presume he only included Samsung and Apple's, maybe he included them as a whole. I'm not sure. I thought he maybe only included their 
app store revenue, but that's not Samsung. I don't fully understand. I don't think he fully broke it out. I don't fully understand the analytical process there. I believe that he believes in it strongly, and I can sort of picture putting it together, you know? But his point, let's get to his point for doing that, which was... To show that retail growth is really, when you include those companies, retail numbers actually look really strong. And He didn't put it in these words, but I think he was getting at the point that the economy is kind of blowing off a little bit. It's kind of, we've thrown... A healthy economy has you've thrown on tax cuts, you've thrown on tariffs, which is leading to pre-ordering. You've thrown on a lot of things, and so retail is really doing well. He and that legacy retail may be getting lifted up by just a broad-based, like a rising tide for the entire economy is lifting up some of these like purportedly dead which brick he, and mortar. He was retailers. not shy of saying that he called a retail bounce in the middle of 2017 and now he's sort of so this was sort of his I called the the retail the sector outside of SAA I called them as you know they improved from one and a half to three percent growth to something like four to five and now they're still at that but he's I think he's essentially saying this softening this won't bullishness. Last. Yeah, for and sure. So I thought that was a really, it was entertaining. I did think it was, it was actionable, but it wasn't, it wasn't like, here's my great single short idea that you're going to just take to the bank. I thought so one. So you you're on his side. Oh, he was my number one, but, but I hear where you're coming from. Oh man. <laughs> I'm not kissing up. I promise, David. You're kissing up. David. But with the one idea that I, like, if I were somebody who shorted, I would, take then so listeners if you're interested is carters carters was one that the stock didn't seem to be that deflated but they were having a heavy inventory buildup and that's just an interesting uh, and a bad kind of inventory buildup right. i think their payables were not up in step with their, it's old yeah it's, it's old. old it's old everything is old all the baby stuff is getting older and older <laughs> the babies for babies the babies get older and older the baby stuff stays the same age <laughs> not really it's no. old it's old it's old uh, I thought it was great. Uh, I do think you're kind of trying to um, kiss the ring a little bit there. <laughs> but that's okay. I still respect you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Um, shout out to David Berman uh, for accosting me in the elevator for not voting for his presentation. Uh, I hope we meet again. <laughs> other, other, yeah, we, we, we would hope to have you on the pod, David. That, uh, do we have other other presentations that stood out to you just in terms of quality of presentation quality of idea of our listeners probably i mean if they were to have heard of anything else based on just like the presentation itself it would have been carson block's activism short selling presentation Mm -hmm. and the same thing happened carson block presented in may and he did a kind of unconventional story in may where he talked about a different type of short selling strategy which was basically marrying a long position in somewhere higher up in the capital structure, like bonds, and then investing the coupons on the bonds in put options on the stock. And he gave several examples where even in cases where the stock gets crushed, the bonds usually dip and then recover when the market realizes that it's like they're going to, the bondholders are going to, be made whole. Yeah. So, so that was in May and that was unconventional because it wasn't a specific idea. And, you know, he's certainly well equipped to go after frauds. That's sort of 
how he's made his name. So he didn't, but he doesn't, he hasn't done that yet. Instead, he's kind of taken these bigger picture perspectives. And he did that again on Tuesday with this idea Monday. of, or on Monday, sorry, today's Tuesday. Yeah, today's t- Monday. Just Don't edit this. I want people to know that I'm not perfect. So <laughs> on Monday, he, let me spit out the gist of the idea. It's that there are these companies whose profits are basically extracted at the expense of the social welfare. So companies that create negative externalities with respect, especially to people's health, was what he was focusing on. So there are some companies that have been implicated in some deaths of people, people losing their lives. And he mentioned that um, Acadia Healthcare and Insys Therapeutics. So Acadia Healthcare, we have a Seeking Alpha author who's been all over this story. They've been accused of their addiction recovery healthcare provider, and they've been accused of negligence of patients, uh, assault of patients, all sorts of really gross negligence of some very vulnerable people. And Insys Therapeutics, you know, I think Roddy Boyd has been really a leader on this story. They are the makers of fentanyl, which is this insanely addictive opioid painkiller that had been overprescribed by physicians who I think it's pretty well documented were simply on the take from the company. They're basically being bribed to prescribe something insanely addictive to people who don't need it. He said that you can't necessarily put an exact number on the death count there, but that it's probably greater than zero. And so his overall point is he kind of is looking around and, you know, short sellers have this reputation of kind of being these amoral gunslingers. And he's kind of taking, taking a look around and saying, well, maybe we can do something in capital markets to create better incentives for management teams to behave better and to be more accountable for their externalities. Because if you're compensated based on the share price and you, this is the part that gets mushy, right? I don't know if this is a money-making strategy, but basically his pitch was go after the companies and then go after the entire financial markets ecosystem that supports the behavior. So go after sell-side analysts that maintain buy targets on companies that are doing horrible things. Make it a lot quicker and painful, the downfall of the (laughs) stock price, so that management can't continue to profit by selling their shares into the open market at high prices. And I thought it was really interesting. I think, I don't know if it works, but I, I just, you know, we want to feel at some level like we, like investment analysis has some sort of benefit over and above just being smarter than someone else and taking their money, right? And I think he got at that, and it's like a defensible argument. So I liked it a lot. Well, there was a couple. So one of the examples that I, that, and he sort he was he was quite profane in his presentation. And one of the examples he pointed out was somebody from B. Riley re- responding to HIIQ. That was one of his examples: health insurance innovations. And they said, "Oh, once this regulatory stuff passes, they'll be fine. Aggressively buy." And the regulatory stuff he pointed out 
multi-state. They they use the phrase multi-state, which makes you think, you know, five states. Yeah. And he's like, there are 42 states investigating them. This is not this sort of small thing. If you're really, I, he was basically saying, I don't believe you're doing any real due diligence on this. And that's just not, a, it's one thing if you do the due diligence and disagree, fine. That's a market, but make sure you're doing the due diligence. And if you're on the south side, you don't have the skin in the game. And the other thing that was interesting about that, and you asked a question to him, you know, about whether, how do you, I think your question was more or less, does this work? How do you avoid getting sort of committed? Because I, I agree that there's a, it's dangerous, I think, from a pure portfolio management perspective to become a crusader. Yeah. It's hard for you to, we've talked about that in the past in some cases, and it's hard enough to sell a loser even if there's no moral story attached to it. Right. Like, like, you know, I was long Gilead for a number of months and maybe even a number of years. And it, you know, anyone can look at the chart. It didn't, it's not worked out. And I finally sold it at a loss, but I probably could have done that a lot sooner if I hadn't just been either lazy or committed or whatever. And if you compounded that with, if I believed that, Gilead was going to save the world, then would I have stayed in it longer? I mean, well, and that's a big problem with biotech. Anyhow, is this, they're going to cure cancer. You can't bet against them. They're going to cure cancer. And if I'm being honest, that was part of my commitment bias a little. I mean, there's a story around Gilead that may or, it's not a good business story, but it's like a good feel good story that this company makes cures. They cure diseases. They don't right. stretch out your treatment and create these annuities of cash flows and extract the maximum value. Although Gilead's definitely extracts plenty of value from people, but there was some of that. Maybe that did. Maybe it, it took me longer partly because of that. So I believe that this bias is something to watch out for. Well, and what was ironic or whatever else is that, Carson is presenting this on stage with Whitney Tilson and Whitney Tilson has, was a crusader in lumber liquidators was short. Herbalife is the most obvious example was short world acceptance, which is a company that was a payday lender or is a payday lender that has been, and it would be interesting. For example, I have no idea. I believe he's often on the other side of the trade. It would be interesting to have somebody like John Hempton around who is, on the one hand, who I think shows some from his writings and his Twitter postings and everything else, he shows some moral streak, but then also disagrees quite strongly on some of these companies. So he would be an interesting perspective. But Whitney has been a leading crusader. And so for Carson to, and for you to ask that question, I think was quite timely. And Carson's response was somewhat of, he, he had this, metaphor of there's a difference between charcoal and black great metaphor yeah. which is essentially you know the shade of black is deaths yeah and the, and the healthcare industry and we can go socialist for a second and wonder about yeah when, socialist hat put it on <laughs> when you are when health is the end product but then you're maximizing profits on the other end there's a little bit of a skew and that's where acadia healthcare american addiction centers those companies where Mental health is what they're selling. That's, do you want to sell mental health? I mean, behind the idea is hoping to give, put a smile on your face, but I don't know if I would want to. 
I make no representations <laughs> about being able to help people on that level out there. I no, that's not really that's not really what this is for. No, what is it for? Anything really? <laughs> it's for it's Would for you, you know we break down investment ideas to find out what makes things work. Nothing so, more, nothing less. But nothing more, nothing. This is not mental health advice. Yeah. So I, but so I, I, where was I going with that? With ACHC, AAC is examples. So the healthcare industry, that's what Carson said was sort of ground zero for a lot of this. Whereas payday lenders may be unsavory and Herbalife's practices may be unsavory. Is it really? It's not crusadable. Not evil. I don't know if he used evil as a word, but is it really bad? And he's essentially saying it's a different shade, and so you want to be careful. And it's he said that not just from kind of the moral perspective, I think, but he was also getting at from a practical perspective of making the trade work and executing a campaign that could actually motivate people. And I think his point is kind of like you can – the charcoal, the gray, dark gray – of payday lending or, you know, potential pyramid schemes is just kind of, there's a level of acceptance in our system of that behavior. And there's going to be enough people to defend it that your campaign isn't as likely to succeed, which I think was just as important to him was like identifying targets where you can actually build a sufficient level of outrage to kind of change the, ecosystem around these companies and these stocks. And so it wasn't just that does a little bit account for the idea of crusading. It was a good answer. I don't know if it totally gets you because yeah, it doesn't it, totally fix that problem. But There was a feeling of form fitting of that a little bit of, you know, when somebody raised their hand and asked somebody sitting at our table actually raised their hand and asked, you know, what's actually different about what you're proposing? And I don't know. I, I think it's because I think short sellers do feel self-righteous sometimes and do and sometimes deservedly so, sometimes not. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it was it was thought provoking. It was a worthwhile presentation. It was memorable. I think it was it was meant to sort of be that way. When he finished, somebody let out a yelp from the, the back. of the Yeah, room. I was yeah. surprised he didn't get a standing O. Honestly, I oh really? Yeah, I mean, I when I asked my question, I said that was an inspiring presentation, and I'm, I believe that you were inspired. I was inspired. I mean, we were talking at dinner last night, like how how important is investing, and how important is all of this? And it's kind of like you need. I need personally need some like glimmer of a rationale for for making this the focus of all of our time and efforts. I include you and me and our listeners in that. Like, there has to be some, you know. You want your life to be aimed at something, a greater good at some point, I think. And and markets aren't doing it for you. Well, we're just, we're in this system of, we love this game. We love playing this game. We love competing. We love trying to be smart. But being smart isn't a complete life, you know? And I think that's partly why that person responded that way. And that's why I found it inspiring is because... Carson's acknowledging, like he's acknowledging that side of things. That's kind of an elephant in the room for all investors. Anyone who's kind of devoting a meaningful portion of their lives to this has to sort of, they don't have to, but are probably better off grappling with this question and coming up with some sort of 
I'm getting really deep, man. But I, so, yeah. Socialist hat, maybe. I don't know. What? No, it's just a hippie hat. It's I, like a philosopher hat. I'm just going to pull us out to disclose that we were not invited to the speaker's dinner, so Mike and I just kind of wandered around Manhattan and got dinner on our own. Tacos. <laughs> we got tacos. Well, he got tacos, but yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I, I Sorry, sec- yeah, I wasn't speaking with the investors at dinners. Thanks. <laughs> it was just me and Daniel think, talking to each other I over margaritas. Dave, I think David Bourbon would have just yelled at us at the time. So we would have never gotten probably any for the food. best. <laughs> probably for the best. These two can't eat. <laughs> no, take that away. <laughs> so any so any other any other like memories, takeaways, any other either from chatting with people or from other presentations, any sort of factoids, any anything else that stands out to you? We were there, we were there essentially seven thirty till seven, so we had an almost twelve hour day of talking with short sellers, talking and investing. What else do you think is worth kind of sharing from from that from those rooms? I think it's just kind of noteworthy that a couple things. One, this is a small world, so in May, I went to the conference and a lot of the same people that showed up in May were here again. A lot of the presenters overlap and that's partly a function of just it's sort of the case learning network in particular. And there's certainly other people out there, but a lot of people know each other. They follow each other on Twitter. You know, we talk to people about Twitter comments or, you know, people are familiar with Seeking Alpha and they kind of know the other authors that they like on Seeking Alpha. So there is it's a little ecosystem, you know, which I think our listeners may not, or I didn't necessarily sort of perceive it in this way previously. Like there's, and there certainly are people out there who are just isolated by themselves, but there is a little bit of a community. Mm. And the, the other thing is related to that, which I was kind of struck by how many of these ideas had already kind of been out there. There were a lot of, short ideas that were, had been, had been presented in years past. And I think that tells you a couple things. One, that the methods for analyzing these companies are often consistent across different investors. And another is that shorts don't go to zero, you know, they can go down and then go back up and then go back down again, you know, I think of Signet or what did Ben Axler from Spruce Point. Ice markets. So that one has, I think, been working, and but he thinks it will continue to work. But my point is that I kind of have a perception that a short idea should just like work and be over, but I don't think. I think the reality is that you can come back to the same idea multiple times. It may not work the first time, but you can keep it on your radar and then finally sort of find the magic beans that make it work anyway. But like whatever it is, there were a lot, I do have this takeaway that there was a lot of repetition of similar or the same idea. Well, and also the it's, I think even with the market volatility, like there weren't many surprising ideas. I don't think there, I thought Michael's was somewhat immediately counterintuitive, but otherwise not that surprising really. And, it was the universe of short ideas still isn't that wide and maybe it never is. Maybe it's always like this. Like, yeah, it's keep a good in mind question. we saw 15 to 20 different conversations and different stocks that were suggested. So yeah. So it, it, it's just a different 
um, ecosystem maybe than long ideas. But yeah, I, I, I would, that was one of the things I was going to point out was that these ideas were ideas. Honestly, Car Gurus was somewhat new. Cracker Barrel, uh, Victoria Hart's presentation. I thought Victoria Hart's presentation was a little bit choppy, her actual presentation, but what I, I took up one factoid that I just think was interesting as a read across in general for investment analysis, which was she talked about home builders. So she made two different pitches, essentially. She said Cracker Barrel, and then she said home builders, and she selected Pulte and KB Home. I didn't know it was pronounced Pulte. I would have just pronounced it Pult. Pulta. I would have gone Pulta. Pulta. Huh. I don't know which is right, honestly. Pulte. But no reaction. <laughs> but she, her pitch there was, look, everybody sort of is waiting for millennials to just form homes, but they're marrying later, so there's like an actual secular difference, or marrying less, and that's a key drive household formation. And then also, and... This also, I think, ties back to Carson's pitch. She was not normative about it, but she said, look, like, millennials are more ethnically diverse, and the ethnic, like, just if you go on that level, the ethnic diversity that that we're talking about, ethnicities that historically don't own as many homes. So you're expecting this huge boom, but it's not the same pool that you're dealing with otherwise. And, you know, there's lots of, I think I nudged you and said, you know, this reminds me of stuff that Ta-Nehisi Coates has written about for the Atlantic, but like there's, there's other ethical issues with that and structural problems. But from the perspective of investing, I think it's also very easy to fall into a narrative like that, like, Oh yeah, the millennials are coming along and, you know, and I think we're both grouped in with millennials. Generally we're on the older end of the group, but. And we formed, we bought houses. We bought houses. We yeah. have. We're in the cohort that buys houses. <laughs> we are. We're white. <laughs> but, but, well, yeah, we are white. We also have, we, we, neither of us have kids either. And so yeah. that's like, there, there's other, which we mentioned Carter's earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, those onesies are getting older by the day. It's old. It's old. So it's just, uh, I don't know. So it's just, it's, I just thought that was an interesting factoid. I and, thought, just to jump on this, Dan David of Geo Investing, right? Another sort of, there is a lot around the edges on like society kind of, you know, Carson mentioned sort of institutions failing and like Dan David sort of mentioned the, the political side of things, like everyone feeling whether you're right or left or whatever, everyone having a sense of the sort of government doesn't really have our back. And then these demographic shifts where we have a sort of fragmenting and of society along all these different axes. It's really interesting to see that come out in an investment conference, you know, all these sort of public interest topics. Yeah. I thought one thing that I'm, I'm going to try to set up for you on a T to hit was also the last presentation of the day was shout out to Ann Stevenson Yang, who was a guest on the podcast and we both enjoy talking with. Yeah. Shout out to Ann. Yeah. And she made a nice presentation about Momo. And I think there was something specific to her short picture of Momo that you, th- you kind of came away thinking about quite a lot, which was the, uh, remember how their businesses run the, the exposure to 
money laundering and sort of the, oh yeah the, yeah the margins that are involved I can't there. I got to keep I keep I so basically she's pointed at all these companies Momo included where there's like this risk that meaningful segments of the businesses are simply there are these cryptocurrency and gifting economy based economic systems and her point is that that's a great setup for circular transactions and money laundering and then she also mentions in passing that 25% cut of the money laundered is a decent it's a little high but it's a good rate of return and I just just turned to Daniel and I'm like that is an excellent business just no no hard assets no anything just wash money and take a cut is a so, perfect business model so mike walked away both thinking about how to storm the storm the bastille with carson block and how to money launder so those were big big takeaways but yeah that was it that was a maybe that's the fundamental that's the fundamental duality of investing man <laughs> <laughs> it's old it's old yeah i I don't know. I I don't honestly want to invest in a money. Well, I don't want to honestly invest in a money laundering operation. But but it's a, it, as a I mean we're joking, but as a way to see and China and you know I think you were the one who asked Anne, are you bullish on anything in China? And she gave like a big sigh sigh and resigned she ended up finding like these tiny companies that we haven't heard of and aia is she well she was at least neutral on aia if you like yeah i I just well yeah maybe you've heard it doesn't trade on the oh maybe it doesn't trade publicly it was he was one she liked but i think but but yeah it's just sort of but i think i don't know if somebody on stage made the joke or if we just made the joke between us later, but it's also something where you could ask Anne the same question about the world. And, and she's a little bit, yeah. You might get a similar answer. Yeah. You need that. You need that skepticism in the world. Yeah. Maybe that's a good place to, to land. <laughs> that's the, the <laughs> Whitney, that's your motto for the next case learning conference. You need a little skepticism. You in the need world. a little skepticism in the world. Get your dose of skepticism at the case learning conference. I, I would pitch that to him. All right. <laughs> well, he's listening, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah, so uh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, let's wrap here. All right. All right. Bye, Mike. Bye. Thanks for listening to Behind the Idea. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Leave us a review if you can, and email us at btipod at seekingalpha.com if you have questions or requests or complaints. Also watch out for our new podcast series coming out this week, the Essay Marketplace Roundtable Podcast, where we speak to our marketplace authors about how they approach the market and how they help investors take their game to the next level. For Behind the Idea, we're hitting the year-end stretch, and we'll be doing a review of 2018 on our next episode. We'll then release a special bonus episode for the holidays. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. See you next time on Behind the Ideas.